0: you're listening to family feud part of the paris style podcast family they might not be brother and sister but they sure do fight like they
1: are here's your hosts keely or and shotgun spratling
2: welcome to another episode of the family feud podcast i'm your host keely or joined By Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun, I'm looking forward to this game on Saturday. USC is going to take on number seven, Oregon. A fun matchup in the Coliseum. So we'll talk about that. Talk about USC's last-minute victory against Colorado. But as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who does that. We'll be answering your questions at the end of the show. And if you can't tell, I'm down with the sickness. Shotgun was sick last week. I'm unfortunately sick. Yeah, I'm sick. So hopefully my voice kicks in for this whole pod.
0: Yeah, we've been going through. I think it's the, the back and forth warm weather, cold weather, warm weather, cold weather we've been doing on these road trips the last the few days. No games. sleep.
2: The red eyes out of the locations also don't do us any favors. Yeah, I
0: did not sleep after the Colorado game before we got on the plane. So. Or
2: the Notre Dame game, so...
0: Also true, yes.
2: It's been a rough couple of weeks, but <laughs> nonetheless...
0: That's, that's not too much different than my normal sleep schedule.
2: True, but we're here. We're ready to pod. We're very excited. Spirit, excited! Spirits are high. <laughs> I don't know. Let's start off with stock up. Who you got?
0: I mean, how do you not start with Michael Pittman Jr.? I mean, yep. th- this kid does everything. You know, he he's, he's making... He has hundred yards receiving in the fourth quarter. You know, he puts up similar numbers to the LaVisca Chenault in this game, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. On he had seven catches on eight targets. Yeah. You know, LaVisca Chenault put up nine catches on 172 uh, on 172 yards, but he added his own. I think it was 14 targets. So, you know, when USC throws the ball in Michael Pittman's direction, it's getting caught. You know, and he's doing, doing something with it after the catch. He was terrific in this game, and he's also a guy that's on multiple special teams. He's doing everything he can to help this team. You know, he's obviously got to be on stock up after that big game against Colorado.
2: Without a doubt, such a clutch player, and he's the guy you turn to in those moments, those fourth quarter or last-minute moments when you need a, a, a score on the line, he's the guy you look to.
0: Or even third and 10. you yeah. know, Keaton Slovis has pressure in his face, throws it out there, trusts Michael Pittman to make a catch, and that kind of jump-started that final drive that USC had.
2: Without a doubt. Keeping along the receivers line, I had Drake London on stock up. He had a career-high seven receptions for 85 yards. Uh, He went a whole four-game streak uh, prior to the Arizona game where he didn't have a reception. Uh, I talked to him this week, and he said the game's slowing down for him. He's finally getting uh, enough games under his belt where he feels comfortable. And I'm glad to hear it just because I asked him, like, you were involved in plays that either were an interception or it part of the game losing drive. How did you keep your mind like in the right place? And he, he said you just keep your head down, you just keep working. Um, and you're seeing it pay off for him. And uh, and he he made a terrific catch on the second and twenty play against Colorado and, and props to Keaton Slovis for putting that ball in there as well.
0: Yeah, right after you you know, Keaton Slovis fumbles, they get backed up, oh this drive, you know, it's gonna be doomed now. No great throw. Linebacker has his back turned to, to Keaton Slovis. He throws it right beside him, and Drake London makes an adjustment there and make the catch. Middle of the field has been open for USC. They're attacking a little bit more now. And one of the things is on my stock up is five wides. Mm-hmm. The first time we've actually seen them go five wides, a true five wides, no tight end, no running back. This is, hey, we'll, we'll motion Amon Ross St. Brown into the backfield if we want a running back. And, you know, when he got the ball, he had – Three, three carries for 50 yards? This guy's running over people, too. He could easily be on stock up. He's on
2: my stock up, so oh. I might as well say that. Yeah, Such a dynamic player. The fact that he, he has great vision as a running back. And and he said that he had played running back up until his sophomore year in high school, and you can just see it. He he had some good moves out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, he has the touchdown on the first drive where he runs through a tackle. And that's Nate Landman on the other side. Landman came into the game number three in the country in solo tackles this season, and he's a top 10 in tackles per game. You know, that's a guy they expect to make every tackle and every opportunity. So when they get one-on-one, they say, oh, that's a tackle. He's down. No, i Ross St. Brown, takes a hit, keeps on, keeps on going and was able to weave his way through the defense. There was one sequence in the, the second quarter, I believe it is maybe in third quarter where he had a run a catch and then a run on three straight plays. I wow. mean, he's he's a guy that, you know, is is doing everything. You can use him in different ways. He he picks up first downs it seems like all the time. He knows where the sticks are. He's just a such a cognizant player on Dependable, the field. Dependable, reliable. Yeah, all those things. He he's one of my favorite guys to watch. He runs great routes all the time. And that's another thing with the 5 wide. You can move him around. You saw Michael Pittman in the slot beside Tyler Vaughn's a lot of times, so you, you they were doing some different things with that. I really liked what I saw with that 5 wide. Four I was kind of surprised they didn't use it at all in the second half, though. You know, they ran on on open opening drive a little bit a couple uh, later in the first half, and then they used it, uh, I mean, a little bit later in the first quarter and then a little bit in the second quarter, but 14 total plays. You know, Valus Jones was in there as a, as a wide receiver. It was good seeing him out there. He got a catch. You know, so they they could have used it even more, I thought, but went with a little bit more with the Keenan-Kristen route in the second half, you know, using the freshman. He did a pretty good job, you know, stepping up and and making some blocks and stuff in the backfield, obviously catching the touchdown pass as well.
2: Could you say a mini stock up to your five wide is Valus Jones, getting the opportunity there as that fifth wide receiver?
0: Definitely. I think so. And, And that's one of the things when you have some injuries like they do to the running back positions. Then you start getting a little bit more creative. And I like the creativity that they had on the offense. You know, it wasn't just the five wides, it was motioning guys behind the backfield. It was motioning a guy into the backfield. It was using a guy like Velas Jones. You know, just doing different things that they haven't necessarily done. You know, they didn't they wanted to spread Colorado out. That was pretty obvious by the fact that Eric Cromenhook played seven snaps. Yeah, you know, they use the H back four times, you know, and they've been using that over 20 times a, a game uh, the last four or five games going back. So, you know, they they wanted to spread them out. They did that. And, you know, Valus Jones is a capable receiver. So it's, it was not surprising at all to see him when he got in there, get a catch and, and you know, tr- try to turn up field and get some extra yards. I think he's a weapon they can use even more, too.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And maybe in that Amon that Ra running back type situation, we'll see.
0: Sure. He played some running back in high school. You know, he's got speed. He's a guy that's pretty low to the ground, you know, similar body types as Amon Ra St. Brown. So if you're looking for another guy that can play a little bit of running back, there, there's another guy. If you have a guy go down and in, with an injury potentially this week, with as many injuries as they oh, faced boy. in the last oh, few boy. weeks. That was probably one of the, the biggest stock ups, and that was the one that Clay Helton chuckled about after the Colorado game on a Sunday conference call was they made it out without any significant injuries. So definitely that stock up, their their uh their health overall is is moving up. One of the guys who did get an opportunity that I had on stock up was Quincy Junty. Mm, yeah. Him bouncing back, you know, after the fumble. He comes in, he doesn't get a carry until it's third and one on the drive that ends up being the game-winning drive, that is not ideal. That is not ideal No. At all. It's his third play on offense, and they put him in, and hey, he picks it up. It was third and one. He got just enough. A couple plays later, he picks up a second and second and one, second and two, uh, to and gets a, another first down. He did good job in the few few plays he was in there as a pass blocker as well. So I thought both he and Keenan Christen stepped up in that role. You know, they, there was a lot being asked of them. You know, after USC went. You know, away from their five wides, for those guys to pick up some blitzes and do different things, I think they did a solid job. Not, not the best job ever, but a solid job. So, and Keenan Kristen recovering a fumble that was that was might have been his biggest play of the day.
2: True, there was fanfare after the Pittman touchdown, and I was standing there like I still don't know how Keenan recovered the ball. I was still <laughs> like a couple plays behind. I just some of the recoveries that USC had in that game. They got away. They got some lucky bounces in that game.
0: Yeah, and one of my stock-ups was finding a way.
2: Oh, that's pretty good. You
0: know, as Keely your Keely said last week, it's a survive and advance game. Did I say that? I, she might have said that. <laughs>
2: Maybe once or twice.
0: Yeah, so they, they found a way. You know, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't ideal, you know, the way they won this game, but they found a way. They went on the road. They went on a short week. They were able to to play in the cold, and they got a win. And that's the biggest thing. They, they yeah. got the W.
2: That's the crazy part about the Colorado game of the trajectory of this team because I was standing there in the couple minutes. I think I turned to you. Maybe this is a hurt on the sideline. I was like, I hate this. And you're like, why? And I was like, because instant analysis can go two very separate ways with how this game ends because if, if USC loses, they're probably out of the Pac-12 South race. We're probably talking about Clay Helton's future in instant, and then a Michael Pittman touchdown later, and we're talking about, hey, control your destiny and first road win. You know, it's, it's it was a big swing, and and I was sitting there being like, okay, how am I going to talk talk about this?
0: Which also tells you how close a lot of the Pac-12 teams are. True. You know, there's not a huge discrepancy between one and twelve. You you would, you would expect that there would be, but no, it's it's pretty. You know. It, there's a couple teams that are ahead and there's a couple teams behind, but everyone still on any given Friday night, especially yeah. can be anybody else. And, and that's just how this, this conference has played out. There's not a dominant team, which may end up being why there, there won't end up being a PAC 12 team in the college football playoff again, because there's not a dominant team. We'll see. We'll see. And this weekend will determine that a lot because yep. if USC wins. Then I don't think anyone gets in. It would be very hard. Utah yep. would be the last team remaining and, they would have to hope that USC loses to to someone on the road. So it, we'll see how this, this conference plays out. There's, there's no telling. There's always some twists and turns left to, to go. How about a twist to the stock up from a guy that had struggled oh. a few weeks back John Houston Jr. Mm-hmm. I, he he struggled in that Notre Dame game. They ran right at him. He had some opportunities to help the team get off the field on that final drive and couldn't really do it. He's had two weeks back to back. Has been really good. He had nine tackles this week, seven solo tackles. So he's making the tackle. No help out. Help from anyone else. He also had a pass breakup, near interception early in the game. So for him to bounce back, and you know Chad K was asked, you know, just who's kind of stepping up with Christian Rector out and with Jordan ISF out, and you know these these leaders on the defensive side, who's stepping up? He's like, it's all about John Houston. John Houston, the guy that's keeping everybody going, keeping everybody on the same page. He's making all the calls in the middle of defense. So he was getting a lot of love from not even his position coach, but another defensive coach there. So I think that tells you a lot about John Houston, where he sits on this defense, and you know where everyone's looking to him. And for him to step up and make some plays, I thought was really big these last two weeks.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And you're missing Christian Rector and Talano Hufunga, Two other guys Mm -hmm. who are communicators, leaders on that defense. So he really had to step up, and it looks like he did.
0: And talking about Talanoa Hufunga, my last stock up is actually uh, another safety, Britton Allen. The freshman gets thrown in the mix in the fourth quarter. Isaiah pull him out and not have a great game. Yeah. And Greg Burns told me he wanted to pull Isaiah out. He said, I've been trying to get Britton in. I've been trying to get him in. Didn't have the right situation. He says at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they had an opportunity and he put Britton Allen in. He wanted to he wanted to go over a couple plays with Isaiah pull him and his angles after the, the backup quarterback had run for a big gain. Isaiah had missed the, the tackle there. He said, I wanted to talk with him and go over some things. Well, Britton Allen was playing well, so he said stay in, stay in, stay in. So for the next two-and-a-half drives, basically, he stays in the entire time, and then Isaiah Polamau comes back in in kind of the crunch time situation, the two-minute area, and, and comes back in, and he plays pretty well then too. But I thought Britton Allen, being ready for your, your opportunity. You know, when you're going and a guy doesn't get injured – you're not expecting to go in as a true freshman, but he's a guy that's just slowly worked his way up. He's been on special teams and stuff. Another guy in that secondary that just is ready when his number's called. How many times have we said that with Greg Burns' group? I mean, it's so just been impressive times. how well they've done with injuries and different things and just guys being ready and, and coming in and fulfilling, doing their duties, not trying to do too much, just being ready to go.
2: I know we talked about it a lot, but we had circled that secondary as a big uh, question mark going into the season. We thought it was going to be a liability, and they've st- stood the test uh, with a ton of injuries a ton of rotation they're still uh, holding up at that position but you mentioned Isaiah him out just going into Stockdown uh, transitioning there. I had Isaiah pull him out on Stockdown just because, you know, Britton Allen did come in for him and Isaiah had some trouble. There were some plays where it was his responsibility to make the tackle, to make that read, and he just didn't do it. So in that sense, it's Stockdown for him, but he's been consistent this season. He's been the one healthy guy back there, so uh, it's a mixed bag for him.
0: Yeah, he's been the constant in the back of that defense You know, just because of how many injuries around him. I Since you talked about it, I got tackling on Stockdown. I did another, as well. A, another opportunity another team that wants to spread guys out and you know they got some weapons you know LaVisca Chenault is is a beast you know Katie Nixon is quick you know they're they're young running backs I really like both of them Alex Alex Fontenot and Jaron Mangum you know both of those guys I think Mangum's going to be a star in this league as well but USC did not tackle well according to looking at my count now my count may be off one or two just because of you know, depending on who's grading, whether or not it's a missed tackle or not. But I had 21 missed tackles in this game. Wow! You know, Some of them were three on one play. Uh, so there were a couple of plays where that happened. But th- just a lot of missed tackles. they got to do a better job if they want to try to upset Oregon at home.
2: That was something that Washington State did well against Oregon, was that they tackled well. And something that shows up on film when you watch USC is they're not quick to react. So if a play is developing, you kind of see guys backpedal when it's a run and they should start going forward you know where if they were quick in diagnosing the play and reading it and coming up to the line of scrimmage it's a play that could be a loss for a yard or at the line of scrimmage whereas guys are coming downhill and USC's meeting them almost like passively tackling and so you're getting more yardage on that play than probably should have just because USC's tackling is just not aggressive and it's not it's not good at the point of contact something we saw in practice this week too was that they were doing tackling drills at half speed and it almost was an exact carbon copy of what you see happening games where yeah they're taking the right angles at half speed but if that runner in that drill is going full speed and, and is actually powering through you're gonna have the missed arm tackles that you see in practice and so I was talking to Dan Weber I'm like this is why you see what you see in games they're practicing what they do so there's ways to do things full speed without necessarily hurting your guys, but it's just they're not doing things that help them in games at full speed contact.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like you were just channeling the conversation we had on Tuesday to Wednesday uh, because I, I pointed out and looked over and they, they're they going. You know, Previously, it was like a slow jog, like, all right, let's make sure we get the angle set. This is where we want to go. And now it's like a little bit quicker and it's like, yeah, that's great and all, but if you don't go full speed and have the guy try to juke every once in a while, then are you going to be able to do it in the game? You know, you can learn the angles, learn the angles, learn the angles, but you don't put it into practice at a you know consistently. Then you're not going to be able to do it on a consistent base on Saturdays or Fridays in the Pac-12. True. Um, so I, I, that's it's one of the things that is a is a pet peeve because. It doesn't have to be a tackle, full contact drill to the ground, but you need to be running full speed so you know where that angle is. The angle, it changes. I've said this before, I think on the podcast, but if you're a pitcher in baseball and you throw a flat ground beforehand it's 80%, well, that's not the same as when you get on the mound. And you're throwing hundred percent because your arm angle changes a little bit based on you know how far away from the mound, how hard you're throwing it, your body mechanics, all those things. You need to go. You, that's why you then later in the week you throw a bullpen at a hundred percent. They don't. It doesn't seem like they ever get to that that full bullpen. You know they're throwing a lot of flat grounds here. They're too much seventy five percent. They need a little bit of a hundred percent. Even if it's not, you're not to go back to the baseball and even if you're not throwing to hitters and you're on the field with fielders behind you you throw in a bullpen at 100% still. That's what the tackling drill can be, you know, without taking a guy to the ground, without, you know, fully trying to knock somebody out type of thing, you know, th- I, that's the difference. They need to be going full speed on there so they get the angles and those type of things right. And it's something we've complained about for a while, but the tackling was was pretty atrocious against Colorado. I didn't think it was as bad when I watched it live. And I was like, man, they got tackled better. and I thought it I thought it got better at the beginning from the beginning of the game to, to later on. But then when I rewatched the game, you know they did have like seven or eight missed tackles in the first two drives, but still thirteen more of the rest of the game is still way too many for them. So it, yeah. it's something that if they don't correct, Oregon's gonna going to be able to run all over them because their offensive line is really good, yep. so your chances to make tackles are probably going to be a yard or two later. Yep. And if you don't make those tackles, that can get them to the second or third level quicker, and that's when you get those big gains.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And we actually have a question about this, so we'll get to it more later. Okay.
0: Also on my stock down, i got offensive consistency. Like I said, I like the creativity. I like some of the things they did, but there just wasn't the consistency in this game. You know, they were, When they were going well, they were going great. But then when things weren't going so well, you know, they had three and outs, back-to-back drives. They had a third three and out later. They had a four and out at one point where they got a first down on the first play and another one where they had five plays in the drive. So you know, those are, that's five drives right there where you got two extra plays at, at max. So they've got to do a better job of being consistent there and kind of moving the ball a little bit more, especially when you're playing at altitude with a thin defense. Yeah, that's when you need your offense to be able to you know eat some eat some clock and give you a little bit of a rest. Uh, so that's actually something I had on my heard it. So I'll go ahead and get into it just real quick. But late in that fourth quarter, the defense was huffing and puffing. You know there were times when you know they were throwing some of those deep balls late. They would take immediately take the DB off, and they were coming off, and (gasps) you could see the chest just heaving because those guys had been out there for a really long time. I think one of the biggest things that ended up swinging this game in USC's favor is that they they controlled the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. You know, because Colorado's offense, and I thought their play calling was not good at all in the fourth quarter. But because their offense couldn't get anything going consistently, USC won the time of possession like nine to, you know, like nine and a half to to five and a half or something like that.
2: I I thought your tweet was really poignant about it. It was kind of the opposite of the Notre Dame game in that fourth quarter where Notre Dame really Mm. controlled the clock for USC.
0: Yeah, there was a point and it was pretty much the same thing. You know, the opponent had a three point lead. I think it was about seven minutes, six, seven minutes left for Colorado. That's when. You know, uh, it was a little bit earlier for Notre Dame, but they went on that seven-minute drive and just ate up all the clock and picked up all these third downs. Colorado couldn't do that. USC gets the ball back. USC got the ball back a couple times in that fourth quarter. You know, their offense, and that's another thing with the offense consistency. Like, it wasn't that they were just dominant in the fourth quarter. There were times the defense had to get the ball back for them. You know, you're down by ten points, and Colorado had the ball to start the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, if they run the ball like they had the first three quarters, that game's over. But instead, they they barely tried to run the ball at all, you know, like they had earlier in the game. And, and hey, USC stopped a couple of the runs, but it was just it was baffling, kind of their play calling there with the deep balls that they were trying. And now I know USC made adjustments to bring their corners up and try to you know force them to to do something like that rather than having the short throws. But I just I didn't think that they they ran the ball as well as they could or ran the ball. When they had opportunities and and tried to run the ball, you know they, they fell behind the sticks and then tried to make up with throwing and it just didn't work for them. And in third and four, they throw the ball deep and then or throw the ball kind of intermediate over the middle. It was like a fifteen yard pass and then they end up punting on fourth and four from USC's well, started at the thirty eight before they took a five yard penalty. But it was just like what. Are you trying to win or are you just trying to hold on?
2: Clancy Pendergast was asked, like, Did you think that was four down territory for Colorado? And he chuckled and he was like,
0: Yeah, I thought so. And they had gone for it a couple other times earlier in the game in, in similar situations. So it was just another one was just like, Okay, maybe this is just a first year head coach on the other side, you know, doesn't know exactly what he wants to do and, you know, ended up working out for USC.
2: Yeah, USC got very lucky in that sense as well.
0: Along with the bounces and everything else. <laughs> that's,
2: that's what I'm saying.
0: My last stock down is. Before the game starts, my first trip to Folsom Field, getting excited, Ralphie's in the cage, going crazy too in the cage. And because she was going crazy, the handlers decide
2: That's not why.
0: Why why not?
2: It was the ground conditions.
0: I don't know that that's true.
2: It's true. It snowed the day before.
0: I don't know. Any whatever Sorry. the reason. Yes. Whatever the reason, Ralphie's going crazy in her cage, and then I'm like talking with security like what's the best spot for me to get a video of this?
2: You and I had like a full breakdown like when do you get your camera? When do we do this? Like we were ready.
0: Oh yeah. So I want cuz it was the first time I was going to get to see it and my my stuff was all charging up in the press box so I was like okay, I'm going to I'll wait and leave the field as soon as Ralphie runs. And then they make an announcement, "Ralphie's not planning to run tonight."
1: Wah, and wah, the cage
0: wah. is gone, the handlers are gone. I look over to the security guard and I was like, I, it, "Is is that serious?" Is, is this, I was like a like a six year old just devastated that I'm not gonna see my, my first bison run here. Uh, but yeah, he's like, Yeah, they've already taken her out, so she's done. I was like Ugh.
2: It was it was exasperation. Really it was sad. Was my
0: first trip, so I was wanting to see it. You know, you guys have hyped it up every time you've seen it. So I was Which is once. I was anxious.
2: She was majestic. I also have to say, people were really appreciative that we were bison truthers or you were a bison <laughs> truther in our last podcast. So well done, shotgun.
0: I do what I can to, you know, watch Animal Planet as much as possible. <laughs>
2: spreading the truth <laughs> to the people. But I think that's a good transition and to hurt it on the sideline. What do you got,
0: Shotgun? you got to start with Clay Helton and the substitution issue. So when a sub is made, just to reiterate this, when a sub is made by the offensive team, the referees are supposed to hold up play and allow the defense to sub. This is the Chip Kelly rule. This all started with his blur offense. They thought it was unfair that defenses weren't able to sub in as quickly as the offense were. So LaVisca Chenault makes a catch on the sideline, gets bumped out of bounds, immediately stays in the sideline. Colorado comes on the line, goes to run a new play, USC's running someone in, and they get called for illegal participation. Well, they never had a chance to sub. Clay Helton is going crazy. Because Clay Helton, I, I found out Clay Helton is the guy that decides for USC when are, when they sub and when they don't. So he'll make the call that, hey, this is time for a sub, and he'll hold his arms out just like the referees do to let all the, the other defensive coaches know, like, sub right now. This is We're going. Get your guys in and out. So all the defensive coaches think that they're going to get a chance to sub, and the play goes on. They get this penalty. Clay Helton's livid. He's going crazy. A couple plays later, it happens again, and they stop the play as Colorado's trying to to snap it. Um, and Colorado ends up scoring on, on the drive. Now, I don't know that it would have played out the same way, but they got a first and five out of it. The, the run they had was a three-yard run. The next play was an incompletion. The next play was a three-yard run. The next play was an incompletion. So if it played out that way, okay, they don't score a touchdown, but would it have played out that way? Who knows. The play calling may change. Everything may be different. They score a touchdown on the drive. There's a TV timeout. Clay Hilton is going off. He is so red in the face. And uh, I think it was Taylor Taylor May said pointed out that when he takes his hat off, that's when you know he's really upset. Someone yeah. said that. Yeah. yeah. And he his hat is flying through the air in his hand as he's motioning at the referees with 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 his hats just going to his right. His left hand is pointing at the referee like close to his face too. He's going off. And it
2: was one of those where he'd go off, walk away, and then, and then there's more, and then <laughs> go off. And then he, like, went back and forth. I started to record it because I was like, this is a pretty heated clay. Yes. I was like <laughs>
0: So I got some good photos of him kind of going off on him, and he was absolutely right in this because he was telling them, he said, when you see the tape, you're going to see how wrong you are. I don't know if that, that's not verbatim, but he was basically saying that. And then I talked with some of the other defensive coaches about it afterward. I was like, what exactly was it? And they're, they're like – it, it, when you see this, you're gonna realize how bad this was. And you know, I watch the tape and I go, "Yeah, that's they're just not letting them substitute. It's just a complete mistake by the Pac-12 refs." And I would know; I'm dressed as one today for Halloween.
2: <laughs> yeah, to be fair, uh, behind the curtain, it is Halloween when we're recording this, and shotgun is dressed as a ref, a Pac-12 ref. It,
0: it's weird. I can't see anything right now. <laughs> I, I've been.
2: He literally is podcasting in dark women's sunglasses right now. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's I'm trying to help my vision. It's the mm-hmm. best way possible see, as a Pac-12 ref. You know, I've got plenty of flags over here. If you you, you start mouthing off, too,
2: okay, okay.
0: Uh, if you have any fan interaction, there will be flags thrown.
2: No high fiving. I'll be sure.
0: <laughs> but he's going off on him, obviously, and he's upset. And he was right in this situation. He works it to where, you know, it and the best the best coaches are. That's one of the things they're able to do. They take a mistake and make the most of it, whether it's a defensive mistake, a mistake by an opposing offense, a mistake by the referee. How do you then take advantage of those mistakes? This mistake hurt them on the field, but then they basically got every other call the rest of the way. This was early in the third quarter, like just a couple minutes in. The rest of the way, USC had a false start and a very obvious offensive pass interference on Michael Pittman. Those were the only two calls that went against USC. There was a late hit on Hunter Eccles that could have been called. You know, it was it, that play was later than the the hit that Colorado had been called for earlier in the game, and just it just seemed like and it felt like to the fans that every call was going against Colorado. Now, I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but you know there's a little bit of a correlation there when the referees realize we messed up on this. And it, even if they're not consciously doing it, there's a subconscious to to try to even things out if you're a you know, you're trying to be fair, you know, quote, unquote, fair. But also the referees just throw a lot of flags in the Pac-12 and barely any of them went against USC. So I think he really worked the situation and made the most of it well, out of a mistake that the referees made. He he did his best to, to get things going his way in the future. And it worked out for USC.
2: Yeah, that's a good point there. What do you make of Clay Helton being the substitution guy?
0: I, I think that's part of his CEO role role. He's not a guy that's going to be sending guys in like, hey, we gotta get this guy in, we gotta get this guy in. He's the guy to say, okay, now's the time we do it. Um so but, I
2: But that's what I'm asking specifically, like how would he know rather than maybe Chad Kay or Johnny Nansen will have a better beat on that?
0: I think that they know going into the game, and you kinda you know, if it's a six play drive, then True. hey, we're gonna get our defense tackles in and out. And also this type of game, you know, with altitude and with thin, you know, thin uh uh, depth. You're going to try to substitute a little bit more, just to kind of get guys on and off and slow the tempo down. You know, you'll see guys just kind of jogging off, you know, sometimes because they don't have to rush, and that's part of it. You just want to slow the tempo down a little bit. So yeah, I think the, the part of the game plan defensively was let's sub a little bit more, and I think that because the way they kind of sub with Max Williams, uh, with, with Greg Johnson, those two guys kind of subbed, and it was an erratic pattern. So, you know, the defensive linemen, they're going to sub all the time, you know, especially in altitude, they're going to sub a lot more. Uh, but the way they were using those guys kind of going in and out, I think that was just another another way of them trying to slow the tempo to an extent. So they were, you know, he's going to be the sub guy. He's going to make the call. And, hey, he may call for the sub, and if they don't have any subs, they just don't they don't send anybody in. I think that he's just the guy that's, that's – they're having one guy being responsible for that because they got – In trouble for that in the Notre Dame game when they had the illegal participation. Then is because someone was yelling sub sub sub, some other coach was yelling sub sub sub. Mm. Uh, I I was told from a source, so that that played into it. So they've been able to you know kind of clean that up, and he's the guy. He's the only one talking. And hey, when the head honcho talks, no one else is supposed to be talking, right? True. So I think that clears up that whole situation there, rather than you know having multiple guys try to do it or anything like that. So I think that's why he's doing it.
2: Makes sense. One of my hurdles is a combo hurdle. First okay. of all, Colorado sideline sucks. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not a big fan of just the, the dynamics of the Colorado sideline just because if you look at the bench, it's right up against the wall or the confines of the field. So if you're working the sidelines like you and I shotgun, if you want to go to a different side of the end zone, you have to go up and around, and you have to go through the first row of fans who are not always orderly and and, in a good fashion to go through uh, the pathway
0: yeah if you're trying to go really quickly like i you know during a drive i try to bounce from side to side yeah uh it's just it's much more difficult because people are standing in the way people are cheering like excuse me excuse me get out of the way get get the hell out the way type of thing um but but also there's not as much room on the sideline. Now you're in the end zone, so it's not, it doesn't really affect you, but you know, at USC, I believe you get to the 30 yard line, you know, is where the, the bench cutoff is. They the media pin is pinned off at the twenty yard line there, so you just lose an extra ten yards. So a lot of stuff that happens in the middle of the field yeah. is that much more difficult to kind of capture, you know, as a photographer. So yeah, I, I agreed that the, their sideline was not that great.
2: Yeah. So then I I made a, a bet with which side the kickoff was going to be at the start of the game, and I was wrong. <laughs> and so then trying to get through crowd of fans right at kickoff, I was like, excuse me, excuse me, throwing elbows, and it was it was pretty rough. But when I was kind of late to get down to the other side of the field, I noticed Drew Richmond walking out of the locker room and it's right at kickoff. And I was like, Oh, interesting. And he's someone who coming into this game in this season, I had kind of circled this game and had my eye out for him because I had heard that he struggles with altitude. And so When I saw him walking down late from the locker room, I was like, okay, interesting. This is probably affecting him already. And so he wasn't on that first opening drive for USC, and that's why uh, the PAT took so long was because he was all the way on the other side because he had just gotten to the sideline, and then they were like, oh, shoot, where's Drew? And then he had to come in. So... He made it through, Shotgun, I know you're going to jump in with the actual stats, but he made it through a couple drives, uh, but then you basically saw USC go out to uh, Jalen McKenzie and then Liam Jimmins at guard. So I thought that was interesting. I know people were critical of the offensive performance, meaning that it's Colorado, they should have done better. But I do think that there is some significance to Liam Jimmins getting the most playing time he's ever had at offensive line, at that offensive line position and and kicking out Jalen McKenzie. So just an interesting wrinkle there and something that I had noticed from the beginning of the game.
0: Yeah, Liam Jimmins you know coming into this this week had his his previous snap count high was 37 snaps which was last week against Arizona. Yeah. And so he uh, almost doubled that. He had 72 snaps against uh against Colorado, so you know, he got a ton of ton of reps out there. Drew Richmond did not play that first drive. USC goes down and scores three quick plays. He plays the next three drives. USC has an interception and back to back three and outs. And and so I asked, you know, I asked Tim Drevno, you know, was that performance based that you guys decided that, you know, he wasn't gonna go? And it was kinda of, you know, you look at the stats and it, it's pretty, you know, the discrepancy is pretty obvious there between the two guys. I mean, when Liam Jimmons was in, USC averaged eight point nine yards per play. When Drew Richmond was in, they averaged four point two. Now granted it's a small sample size, it was just those three drives. But, you know, you could see that there was a big difference. Now, I don't think you can blame Drew for that. You know, he, he was dealing with sickness. He was dealing with the altitude, uh, you know, and he just wasn't able to go. He wasn't himself, Clay Helton said. So he wasn't ready at kickoff. And, you know, Tim Drevno said that was basically when he found out, you know, right before the game. He like, okay, we're going to Jimmins now. You know, and he, he actually told me that he told Austin Jackson, go tell – Geminator is what he calls him. Go tell Geminator he's in. Tell Jalen he's out at right tackle. Um, so that first drive, you know, Austin Jackson relays the message basically, and then they go with it. Wow. And then Drew Richman, you know, obviously, like you said, he comes out late, so he's able to go for a couple drives. And they just decide, you know, it's not working. They're going to shut it down, which is what it looked like. Similar to kind of Christian Rector, he plays in the Notre Dame game. Say, you know what, it's not working. Let's shut it down. Yeah. Try to heal up, and that's basically the deal with Drew Richman. He's supposed to be back this week. So that should be a, a little bit of a boost there. but I think it's, it's big for Liam Jimmons to get that extra playing time and you know I thought he did pretty well. You know, there were some exotic looks, exotic blitzes from Colorado bringing cornerbacks and, you know, doing some things in the middle where they're switching guys to make things difficult, not just on him, but particularly that right side that really attacked that right side. So I thought that they did an okay job. And, you know, for the experience that those two guys have at those two positions, I thought they did a pretty good job. So we'll see if they can build on that going forward. And if they need to throw Liam Jimmins in there again, I think they have a lot of confidence in him.
2: Yeah, those are those are reps that prove to be solid layers in a progression as an offensive lineman.
0: You know, also on the sidelines, like as you talked about, you know, you have to go through the, the crowd. So you're you're standing right above the bench, though, which gives it an interesting dynamic an interesting perspective. And so, at one point, I was running back and forth. I just was like, there were some open seats. I was like, I'm just gonna chill here for a second and try to get some bench photos, which is what I do during a you know normal game. As I'm running back and forth, try to get some reaction shots, some different you know you know closer up shots instead of action. And so, one of the things was the end of a USC drive. They're coming off the field. This was in the late in the fourth quarter, or you know early in the fourth quarter actually, uh, early to mid in the fourth quarter. In Drake London. You know, Slovis is just throwing an incompletion, I believe it was. It was but the, the pass that was behind Amon Ra St. Brown. There would have been a first down. Amon Ra St. Brown, like he reacts to it, like puts his head on the ground like he's like curled up like in the yeah. and you know, with his knees on I don't know what the position you call it. I think
2: it would be child's pose.
0: Child's pose. There we yeah. go. I think that's correct. You know, and just just looks kind of defeated. And then, you know, he gets up and runs off. But you know, I think he was just like, Oh, we we should have had that one. And you're kind of they start you can see that they're starting to feel the pressure of being down at this point. And yeah. Are we going to get the ball back? Because this was when I tweeted out this is a similar situation in Notre Dame. And then Slovis comes off, and you can see he's a little defeated as well. I thought it was interesting. The one of the guys that came over to him immediately was Drake London. Drake London came over, put his head on head on his helmet, and said, "Hey, you know, let's go. We got this still." And you know he was the one pepping him up, so you see that freshman connection there. And yeah, you, know, you talked about it on one of the shows, I believe it was. That you look at it, and you got Keaton Slovis, you got Drake London, you got Keenan Kristen, you got three true freshmen out there, and guys that are making plays and and had a big impact on this game in particular. Uh, that one of the other other guys had to come up to Slovis and helped him out a little bit because Slovis is a guy that you know had that. You know that fire in his step, and you know remember early in the season he was a guy pumping people up. Yeah. Well, he knew he made a mistake. That was a throw he should have made. And and Drake London comes over to kind of pick him up a little bit, tell him to keep his head up, and those two guys connect on the next drive for a couple big catches.
2: That's the thing that's kind of becoming clear to me as the season goes on, and I guess Clay Hilton kind of told us about this, but there are a lot of young guys getting a quality amount of reps early in their careers, and they're pretty good. And so if you have these guys getting r- this amount of experience as young as they are, what are they going to look like next year, years, the year after that? These are gonna, This is going to be a good team with the guys that they have going forward because, you know, Keenan, Keenan, I mean, the quarterback battle is TBD, but – it's just interesting seeing how there's some some bright spots on this team that are young and have a bright future.
0: Yeah, I said coming into the season, there's no instant impact guys on this besides Drake Jackson and maybe a guy like Drake London gets in there or Brew McCoy or Kyle Ford got healthy uh, that they would you know potentially have an impact. We're seeing that's not correct. I was incorrect on that one. Guy like Dorian Hewitt, Dorian Hewitt, who came in as a safety, he's been playing cornerback. He played some in the fourth quarter of this game. USC. Not, now, it wasn't the first play. I, I tweeted out that they opened the, the fourth quarter with this, but it was the, the second and third plays. They finished off the Colorado drive with five freshman defensive backs and a sophomore linebacker beside John Houston. So your back seven has one guy that is a, a veteran out there, and you're getting Colorado off the field. When they have a 10-point lead, when they have the ball, and if they go on a drive, this game you know probably was over if they went on a five minute drive right there yeah. and finish it off with a touchdown, the game's over. Five true freshman DBs out there. And they were making plays. You know, they they were trying to throw the ball deep. They weren't letting that happen. You know, Isaac Taylor Stewart played through sickness. I was told he was violently ill basically, you know, leading into the game. And he was out there having to guard LaVisca Chenault. Now he gives up the big touchdown on the slant. That was just a bad, you know, tackle attempt there. But the rest of the game, he was really good and fighting through the illness that he had. Elijah Griffin, he was one of the guys huffing and puffing. It was his first game back after missing, a, you know, a game. So you know, these guys are all competing and battling out there. And you know, some of those freshmen that I didn't think would be having an impact this year are getting out there, like Britton Allen, like Dorian Hewitt, and you know, they're, they're making the most of their opportunities.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. I have a mini heard it, I guess. Uh, just a props to the USC fans that showed up in Colorado. They showed up pretty strong, and they were pumping up the the sideline right before that final defensive drive, uh, the defensive stop that USC got, and maybe uh, in retrospect, Colorado <laughs> probably shouldn't have played Mo Bamba, because apparently the defense loves that song. That was the same song that played during a timeout in the UCLA-USC game. Granted, it didn't work out as well for USC's defense in that game, but... They got hype on the sideline. USC's fans got hype. It was like a reciprocal hype factory there. So props to the USC fans that showed up.
0: A little hype factory. Sure. Uh, my last heard it is also props to Carrie the goat.
2: That was my last one too.
0: <laughs> so Carrie was a you know uh, helped us out at the airport at, at United uh, United Airlines representative who hooked us up. You know we got to the airport late. <laughs> It was my fault. I will take credit for or blame for that. <laughs> take
2: credit. Of course, you'll take, I'll take credit. credit
0: for it. <laughs> I wanted to get us on a later flight with more leg room. Sure, because I knew Carrie the Goat was going to hook us up.
2: Carrie the Goat, who will never listen to this podcast, uh, but we're going to shout her out anyway. She
0: was she was terrific. Uh, she helped us through everything. Keely was, was very stressed. I'm I'm never really stressed.
2: I've never missed a flight, so I was sweating. I
0: that. had never missed a flight either until Keely made me miss one in Vegas.
2: For this podcast, by the way. Yeah, so. because of this
0: podcast. <laughs> and also the airport being very loud and us trying to to record this podcast in between intercom announcements there. But anyway, so we missed our flight. But we were able to get on another one because of Carrie. She hooked us up. Uh, didn't, didn't charge us any extra fees. Yeah, she...
2: she- did the flat tire rule which i didn't know was a thing apparently if you miss your flight in a couple minutes you can be like "Eh, we'll give you the the next one for free
0: and then the seats we got we had extra leg room so it was beautiful keely calmed down by the time we got to boulder excuse me
2: i was calm (laughs) i was just a little frustrated with you sir but nonetheless we were there we made it and how could i forget shotgun the snow hello oh
0: yes Uh, I don't know how I did not write this down. This is what happens when I don't write things immediately after the game down. Yeah. As far as uh you know my hurt it's on the side. But yes, the it was it was very fun for me to see the unbridled joy of one or an Orange County native who has had not seen snow in what like tw- what 13 I 14 seen 15 snow in probably
2: 16 like 10 years? years I've never seen snow fall like actually fall
0: first time as an adult we'll say sure yeah um and as we're driving from the airport to our airbnb like we would pass fields of snow she just like four different times oh god the snow it looks are we going to get to play in it i was like sure and then Ryan and i of course Doused her with snowballs.
2: It was so exciting. (laughs) On
0: the campus when we were walking around Boulder before the game. So, just to make sure she got a full experience, we got to drill her with some snowballs.
2: Plus, I was running on one hour of sleep on Friday or on Thursday. And the snow just gave me the energy, all the energy <laughs> I needed. I was so excited. Snow is great, guys. I mean, people are people are kind of mean, too. They were like, "Kilu, live in it, and you won't like it. I'm like, can I just enjoy it, please? If Thank you, you.
0: If you lived in Alaska, if you were Brandon Peely, and you came to L.A., and you're like, the beach is amazing here, yeah, you're allowed to, you know, when you go outside of what you're used to, it's okay for new experiences to have joy. Yes. I don't know why people are so upset about that. Exactly. But also, then when we got to the Airbnb, she, like, immediately jumps out and starts stamping the snow like oh this is how it feels yeah it was, it was, was just laughing so hard it was a learning experience <laughs> it was just
2: so exciting so exciting it was
0: pretty funny i thought it was hilarious
2: moving on to the weird segment that i've adopted this season which is and what are your thoughts on this that's what i'm calling it what do you take away from this team i mean though i think i said this on the live show the only thing we really know about this team is that they have fighting them but do we really know who they are? Do we know week in and week out, this is what we're going to get from this USC team?
0: No, I think I think that we have consistently seen fight. We haven't seen consistency in their play. I, I yep. think that's, you know, and that's that's an improvement from last year. You know, there wasn't consistently fight. I think this team really likes each other, you know, that, and that may have been why they struggled to 5-7 and seven last year, and you lose those games like Cal and stuff, where they're obviously more talented, but they didn't play together all the time. Um, and... I think that it starts with that when you when you like each other and you are you know a, a the camaraderie is there as a team unit, you, you it just helps push you that much further. You play a little bit harder in those those big critical moments, and they made some big plays in this game. Is this a team that is college football playoff caliber? No, they're definitely not. There's a lot of things that have to be cleaned up. You know, can this coaching staff take this team? in the future to that I don't i still a big question mark I don't, I don't I don't think I'd go the same route that I went last year after the Utah game, said there's no way the coaching staff last year that was uh, established there could ever you know take the team to a national championship it would take a lot still for me to say that about this group but I think they they're just the fight is there so much more than last year so I will yeah. give them credit for that the adjustments that they're making the coaching staff in game in particular, you know, that was something that was foreign last yeah, year at times. Non existent. Um, so the adjustments being made, whether it's, hey, let's go up and press coverage because they're getting those short passes. And then Colorado freaks out and tries to throw a deep every time. Terrible, terrible play calling. Sometimes you just got to do something that makes the other team do something terrible, <laughs> which is what, what USC did. <laughs> Would I don't- that be your coaching motto? I mean, I, did, I don't think that their coaching adjustments were, like, mind-blowing or anything. You know, play a little bit of press coverage. We decided not to blitz a little bit more. That's That was basically what I was told was the game plan later in the game.
2: But in compared to last year when the adjustments were non-existent.
0: Well, especially on the offensive side. The, yeah, yeah. You know, they would do really well to begin the game, and then it was just like, woo, three quarters have gone by, and no one is really paying attention that USC hasn't made an adjustment the entire time. And that's why their offense hasn't done anything. Yeah. Um, so Graham Harrell's making a lot of adjustments as the game goes. Um, and they're doing some, you know, you're seeing a little bit more of the offense each week. It seems like there's some more creative things each week. And part of that is probably the injuries. So there's positives in it to take from the team, but again, they're still not living up quite to the expectations of the talent they have on the roster.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. But in that sense, I know you hate predictions. How do you think the rest of this third of the season is going to go?
0: It's hard to say because you looked at that first six games and you said, "Oh, this is this is murderer's row," and then the next six games should be easy, er, definitely easier. But now you got Oregon coming in and their top ten team, which we didn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily think that was going to be the case coming in. I thought they would be a fifteen to twenty team, um, and I'm not convinced that they're as great as you know their their record is right now. But then you got two road games, ASU and Cal, and anything can happen on the road with this USC team. You know, they they won at Colorado, but it was the first win in what I think it was like thirteen or fourteen months on the road. Yeah, so it's not like this team. You go, okay, that's an automatic W. You would think that but you can't really think that with this USC team. And then UCLA is playing a lot better and this is the same UCLA team that destroyed USC on the ground last year and Joshua Kelly is now healthy and Dorian Thompson-Robinson is playing well. So you look at it from afar and you go, yeah, I can see, you know, 3 and 1 easily, maybe 4 and 0, oh, but you look at it closer and you go, it's the same USC team that's very inconsistent. So you could see 1 and 3, you could see 2 and 2 at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still hard to say what's going to happen with the rest of the schedule and you know depending on how they play could determine the coaching staff's future depending on when they hire an AD could determine a coaching staff's future there's a lot of things that are still up in play and these are all pressure situations because if they go 4-0 they're in the Pac-12 championship yep now they'll play either Oregon again or they'll play Washington again I believe I believe that's how it is set up right now but you know they'll they'll get a rematch with a team depending on how they do this weekend, whether they've lost or won against. So there's no telling what will happen with this team just because of how inconsistent they've been, how much talent they do have, how much talent they could still get back on the injury front. True. Or lose because of how many oh, b- baby, injuries yeah. they've already had. So mm-hmm. you, it just seems like they, there's a very wide spectrum of what could still happen this season.
2: True. In that sense, I guess the overall question, is USC bull eligible this season?
0: Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I think so, I mean, if you asked me that last year, I would have said yeah too.
0: True, but I, I just think the fact that they're playing for each other, playing together, yeah, is a, a different difference. dynamic there. Uh, they're already at the five wins, so they just got to get one more to to be bowl eligible in the last four. I don't think they go zero and four. What in that scenario? Yeah, no, I, I just, don't think so. Either. That scenario I just gave, I gave everything except for zero and four. So <laughs>
2: I wanted to put you on the record to see what yeah, you thought. Bowl
0: eligible, definitely.
2: Alrighty, okay. Let's go into questions. First up,
0: if it's not the Rose Bowl, then I'm hoping for the Vegas Bowl.
2: Yeah, me too. Actually,
0: I don't know where that would place them in the pecking order of the Pac-12. I don't know what the record would have to be. Just because I'd rather go to Vegas than any of the other spots.
2: Yeah, all I gotta say is no Holiday Bowl. That's all. That's all I don't want.
0: You don't want Qualcomm?
2: No, thank you. Not for the third, fourth time or whatever. It's just, and
0: it's not a very well lit. St- it's just not a good stadium. It's just bad vibes. It's very old.
2: Bad vibes. Alrighty, let's go into questions. First up from Steve in Poway. He says Dear Keeley and Shotgun, did Michael Pittman Jr. just pull a Sam Darnold and single handedly save Clay Helton's job with that gutty performance in Boulder? It seems like a loss to the worst team in the Pac 12, even if it was on the road and even with all the injuries, would have sealed the deal for Clay's fate thoughts and then he adds kudos to the offense including running back Amon Ross St. Brown for an amazing performance it feels like the quote-unquote heart was really what was missing from last year's team Stephen Poway which is interesting because we didn't time that up but it worked <laughs>
0: I had not read the question so neither had I'm I all the way I, through glad that I uh, had already answered that that portion of it. yeah I think there's more heart that's part of it I don't think that anyone single-handedly won that game you know Michael Pittman's performance in the fourth quarter was clutch and fantastic but Keaton Slovas had to step up and make some of those throws. Drake London had to catch that ball over the middle. The defense had to step up and get the ball back for USC. So, you know, when it's a quarterback, you say, okay, well, they did some special things that, you know, definitely led the way. But, like, even Sam Darnold, like, you don't say that he single-handedly won that uh, Rose Bowl game. Now, Liam McQuay had to have that interception. Yeah. You know, the defense had to give up touchdowns to Saquon Barkley over and over and over again, so it'd be really exciting.
2: The drama. The drama.
0: <laughs> the cleats had to be slip-sliding every which way.
2: Daniel Marta R.I.P. Oh, R.I.P. <laughs> Poor one out for Daniel. Who he knows? Didn't, he didn't yeah. die, but...
0: Who knows? His career could be resurrected. We shall see. Hopefully. If not at USC, uh, hopefully somewhere, because he's too good of a kid and too good of a tight end not to... Make an impact somewhere.
2: Completely agree. Let's go to a question from C and San Pedro. They didn't put their full name, so we'll, we'll go with that. I'm cool with it. Well, they sent you a question. They said, Shotgun, I notice frequently when USC blitzes, our people are five yards plus back from the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped and frequently have no impact on the play. When other teams blitz, like Colorado, they seem to start from the line, and usually at least one player comes touch to kill our QB either before or after he throws. Is this a problem with our defense blitzing or with our O-line play? Not pleased with our inability to pressure the quarterback even when we blitz. Thanks, C in San Pedro.
0: Now The thing is this is kind of factually incorrect because you look and when Colorado was having their most success, they're bringing corner blitzes. Now that corner, the corner is up close to the line of scrimmage. However, he's a long way away. It's not like he's creeping in right next to the tackle and then coming on the blitz. You know, they were also bringing linebackers on these plays they're always often bringing a linebacker or a defensive end and taking them upfield to try to widen out the the offense alignment or, or the the tackle or a running back that was coming over to pick them up and opening up a gap for the the cornerback to come in so it was kind of a you know a, a different levels of blitzing so one guy comes early and the other guy comes at to, through the hole that is created by it USc does a little bit of both you know when USC is doing double a gap blitzes when you see John Houston and Pali and Iteote when he's healthy, when both those guys are running up the middle. You saw it a lot last year with Cam Smith and John Houston, uh, not as much this season. But yeah, those guys are right there on the ball. As soon as it's snapped, they're running through the middle. You know, it just depends on what you're trying to do. Some blitzes are based on getting there immediately, and then some blitzes are based on. When there's a hole created by the the initial pass rush, is when you run through it. So that's why it's the same thing with a stunt on a defensive line. You know, sometimes you'll have a a defensive end wrap around both the defensive tackles and then go. You know, is it? You know, is he waiting? No, he he's just he's. Going on a delay to an extent to make sure the hole opens up. So it's just kind of the design of different blitzes. Now USC a lot of times this season has you know gone immediately actually with with some of their safeties and stuff. You look at the Arizona game. You know Isaiah Pullumau was coming off the backside as soon as the ball is snapped. He's coming right off the the backside to hit the quarterback, but he doesn't want to give it away immediately. So in that situation, he's waiting until the ball is snapped and the quarterback's turning his head, and then that's why he was able to get those blind side blocks. So it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish with the blitz. The blitzes they were bringing Colorado, they were bringing them from the quarterback's front side. So it was a lot of times when USC was on the right hash, they were bringing the cornerback the from the short side and bringing it right in the face of Keaton Slovis to try to hurry him up and make the decision or to hit him right in his face and you know try to create a turnover that way. So they did some different things. They did some crossfire blitzes where their linebackers, you know, was switch sides as they were you know rushing forward. Those are ones where they're five you know yards off the line of scrimmage and they're just waiting to see the offensive linemen who they start blocking and then they come uh, you know in different directions to try to confuse everybody. Those are tough blitzes to pick up and especially when you're a young guy like Liam Jimmins. So I don't think it's actually the USC's not blitzing the same as Colorado was. I think Colorado was actually doing some you know just Kind of, to an extent, their their blitzes have different levels on them, which are more NFL style blitzing. You know, rather than just bringing everybody immediately, you know, you have a guy, you create a pressure, and then you open a, open up a hole somewhere else, and that's where a second guy will come through.
2: All let's go into our final question. It's from our buddy Maybet from Ontario. She says, "Hello, Keely and, and This is Maybet from Ontario. Hope you and your loved ones are safe from the California fires."
0: I was about three miles away from the Getty.
2: Wow, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, driving through the, to the airport and stuff. You
2: yeah. can smell it, really. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, But thanks to all the firefighters out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate you very much. But back to my bet. She says, when did we stop tackling at practice? If memory serves me right, it was during the Lane Kiffin years because of the sanctions. A friend thinks we didn't tackle in practice even during the Pete Carroll era. I find that hard to believe because Coach Carroll's players say that his practices were more difficult than actual games. Please verify. Keep feuding. Thanks for all you do, and fight on. Well, the reason why I'm laughing is because we're making a call to the bullpen. We actually have a former Pete Carroll player in the studio right now, Taylor Mays. Da, da, da. Taylor.
0: Yeah, quick sub, quick sub in here. Taylor, come pick me up. Oh you no, know. slap quick. me in.
3: We're, we're tag teams, so you can slap <laughs> me in. Quick upgrade over give here. Me, give me a high five, and right? I'm coming in through the ropes.
2: Taylor, uh, <laughs> what's your thought on this?
3: Well, we tackled in practice. I know that for a fact and we worked on tackling drills after practice and I would say the tackling from our team is one of the most frustrating things and this is a topic that I don't know how much I can talk right now but this is a this is a topic that uh has really bothered me because when I look at college football players one of the things that I see is these guys are you know 18 19 20 21 years old they're young they're still developing in my opinion They need to practice hard. Uh, They need to tackle at practice. Because one of the differences is college players and NFL players. NFL players relatively know how to tackle. They know how to practice. They know kind of the formula for being successful. College players don't. They're a lot more, I think I've said this before, they're a lot more uh, impressionable. They're younger. They kind of need to be showed how to work. And it's the same to me with tackling. They have to do it repetitively, so they kind of learn how to do it. Because if you don't tackle, it is extremely hard to go into the game at full speed and then try to put your body on somebody. It's almost impossible to do. And treating these college teams, especially our team, as if it were an NFL team and having that same kind of uh, mentality in terms of trying to save your players, I think is the wrong thing to do. I would rather have our players be beat up going into the game and know how to tackle then have them quote unquote be fresh and not being able to tackle because that you're not you're not helping the football team but, and that's that's something that's really bothering me and I think it really shows up with our team our guys just missing a ton of tackles and a lot of well I'm going to say this on my pregame show later but um a lot of our guys get in the right position but then they miss a tackle and uh, and we talked
2: about this earlier. How much of that is just not going full speed? You don't. The angles are just they don't correlate.
3: Yeah, because if you're going eighty percent, like it just it. If you're going eighty percent in practice, like one of the things in practice that you try to do is run full speed and then get in position and kind of over exaggerate the things that you're going to do, so that when you get into a game, you, you're able to just carry over what you do in the practice into a game. But if you do it at eighty percent or seventy five percent. The running back in the game is running full speed. So it just it 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 does not transfer over. That the guy just runs right past you. You take terrible angles and um I think that's what's showing up for us. But I know for a fact that we tackled and we worked a lot of tackling drills after practice because it was just so important to be able to tackle. If you don't have a defense that can tackle, you don't have a defense. I mean that's literally the most important thing of a defense is being able to tackle. I can't think of anything else more important. And uh I don't know, I guess we'll see as the season goes. But a lot of our guys get in great position to make tackles, but then they miss tackles. Yeah. And that's that's what's you know, frustrating to me, I guess. Yeah.
0: So going back to the question a, a little bit is yes, during the Lane Kiffin years because of the sanctions, that's when the changes to practices started happening and they kind of pulled back the yeah. on the reins and a lot of things because of you know, limited when they would have some injuries, then they felt even more limited But because of the, yeah. the number of injuries they had. So to answer your question, Maybet, yeah, I think it was more during the Lane Kiffin years than, than Pete Carroll at all.
2: We pulled out all the stops for you, Maybet. We got a player to answer your question. <laughs> Only the best for Maybet.
3: True.
2: All but that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Shotgun, any final thoughts before we wrap
0: it up? If USC plays to their potential, they can beat Oregon, but they have to play to their potential and be consistent throughout the game, Um, and that'll be a a big key, and also turnovers because of how good that Oregon is at creating turnovers. Mm -hmm. USC can take care of the ball. That'll help a lot, too.
2: Do you think USC gets an interception this game? I don't think Herbert's thrown an interception in the last, like, 360 attempts.
0: Then, yeah, I think it'll happen. He's due then. (laughs)
2: <laughs> sure. I'll give you credit then if you get that right. All right. I'll take it. All righty. That's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Thanks for sending in your questions and listening. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about this game and preview ASU on the road. Fun stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All That's Shotgun. I'm Kili. We'll see y'all.
1: Peace. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.